The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Praise God. Father, we want to thank you for all of your goodness and your kindness to each one of us. We bless you, Lord, that you are merciful to us. We bless you, Father, that you take care of us. We bless you, O God, for every blessing that we have received over this past week, for our life, for our health, for our breath. Lord, for every good thing. And Father, we come before you now to say, Father, speak into our hearts your word. Let your glory be made known to us. Fill us with the knowledge of your presence and minister your grace to us today afresh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're getting into the Christmas season and there's lots of things going on in the shops. Shops are getting a little bit busier. There's lots and lots of things about the wonder of Christmas that we're already beginning to enjoy. I love this approach to Christmas, this season of people seem to be happier. Well, some people seem to be happier. Most people seem to be happier. Let's put it like that. And they're enjoying this time and uh, getting into the things of Christmas. But Rather than us just getting involved in all the lights and all the tinsel and all the trappings that become what make up a Christmas day or what the television tells us this is going to be what you need and the perfection that we're all supposed to have in our homes. Incidentally, just to let everybody off the hook, there's no such thing as a perfect Christmas, okay? There's no such thing as a perfect Christmas. It's just have a great time and enjoy yourselves and know the goodness of God. That helps us to have a great Christmas. So if you're trying to reach, ah, it's got to be perfect. No, it's not got to be perfect. It's just got to be together. Together with family, with God is a good thing. But rather than getting caught up, as I say, in all of this tinsel and things like that, it's good for us to really try to understand what the true cost of Christmas is. And the object of last week and again this week that I'm trying to get across to you is that. What is the true cost of Christmas? Now, lots of people talk about the cost of Christmas. The Bank of England, for instance, will tell you that in the month of December, you know, all the statistics that they carry, but in the month of December, they will say the average household expenditure goes up by about 800 pounds. Now, that's not necessarily how much you have spent, but adding all things together, looking across the nation, that's what the Bank of England say. And they notice this. They say that there is a 20% increase in food. The amount that's spent on food, 20% increase. Alcohol, 30%. Ooh, you see, people do like a Christmas sherry or something like that. So alcohol, 30%. But, and I don't want to reveal any Christmas presents at this stage, but apparently book sales, 85% increase in book sales. So just think, if you've got a sort of a square-shaped pa- uh, square parcel on Christmas and it's not too fat could possibly be a book, but I don't know about that. Apparently, this year, this year, a 16% increase on the actual cost of your Christmas dinner. 
And they're putting it down to Brexit. They're putting it down to the rise of the pound, or actually the fall of the pound, which confuses me because actually the pound is stronger now than it was at the beginning of the year. But we won't go into that. They just use it for excuses, don't they? Anyway, your turkey is going to cost you more. Your Christmas stuffing is going to cost you more. And therefore, they say that the basket of your Christmas goods goes up by 16%. That seems to be quite a lot. But there's not only inflation in terms of those things. There's something else I discovered, and that's called shrinkflation. Yes, it's a new word to me as well. But thinking about Christmas and the fact that some people like to have Terry's chocolate orange, you know those things, or the triangular Toblerone, you know those things? I always see them in Smith's. They're always asking you, do you want to buy one as you're going through the till? No, I don't, but just to get... Uh, thank you, Jane. Thank you. Now, everybody, just in case you didn't hear that, Stuart buys his sweets in WH Smith's, and he's like, Stuart, well done for that. Thank you. We all join in that. Well, Stuart, I've got some actually shrinkflation news for you. I know. And shrinkflation is where you're getting the same product, but yes, it is smaller than it used to be. And yes, you're paying the same price. Exactly. Doesn't that hurt? I remember the days when the Terry's chocolate orange was this big. <laughs> Not quite. But anyway, those things are happening. No, that's the cost of Christmas in terms of it's going up, it's going to be more, or these things are happening, or you're getting less for your money. All of that's going on. But what is the real cost of the real Christmas? And that is what we're talking about, Jesus coming from heaven to earth. That is the cost. Because as we understand the cost, it helps us to appreciate more and more what God has done for us. That's what I'm trying to communicate. That is what I'm trying to look at. So here I am last week coming to an obscure passage in Philippians. And actually, I'm using that passage to try to help us in our understanding. To understand it costs God a lot to send His Son, Jesus. That's what I'm trying to get across to us. So in the midst of all the tinsel, in the midst of the knowledge of, oh my goodness, my Christmas turkey is going to cost more. In the midst of reality in terms of physical cost for us, if we can understand the cost that it costs Jesus to come, then it helps us appreciate Christmas all the more. And when we say Christmas, Christmas is this. It's the arrival of God's Son to this earth to save mankind from his sins. That is what it's about. That's why we're giving gifts, because God gave the greatest gift to us. That's why we're celebrating. That's what it's all about. And there is a distinct cost in that first Christmas. Let's read together from Philippians. And I actually want to start by reading Philippians 2 verse 5, which, because Paul, when he's talking about this passage, which isn't entitled the cost of what it is to come at Christmas... He just starts off by saying this, hey Christians, you Philippian Christians, I want you to have this in your mind. I want you to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And then he goes on to explain the attitude. And as we unpack the attitude of Jesus, so we understand actually how much it cost him. The attitude is his way of going about life. The things that he had to do, the things that he had to give up, the things that he went about, his whole attitude, his whole demeanor. Do you know what? This week I suddenly had an understanding of attitude. I had a phone call from Eon, who happened to be my electricity supplier. They have a desire for me to have a smart meter. Oh, is, there you go. Oh, that one again. Some of you have smart meters. 
You know that it takes roughly two hours for our engineer to come and fit these smart meters, and we shall be arriving between the hours. Anyway, I have this phone call. It's out of the blue. You know you get a number on your mobile. What is this? Okay, I'll answer it. Hello. And it's this girl, but she's obviously slightly automated from the point of view she's reading. It, it, she must be reading a script because she doesn't seem normal. <laughs> and that, that's what it felt like to me. Now, I'm, please, I'm not trying to do her down. She's just doing her job. But in this course of normality, she then starts to question me. Now, bearing in mind, she has, this is where I, I noticed an attitude, you see. She rang me, okay? I answered the phone. Now she's asking me about security, about my life. When I'm not answering, I'm not investigating them. She's investigating me. And as you can see, I started to get hot under the collar. Like, Come on. I suddenly, halfway through this conversation, I realized, why have I got an attitude about this? I suppose I don't like it when the, you, you hit this red tape buffer and they are demanding of you, you know, like, well, what is your email address? What is this? They're just for security. And I actually found myself saying, well, where's my security in knowing who you are? Amen. I don't know whether we need to amen that, but I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you understand. You understand. I mean, amen is we are in agreement. That's what I mean. We're in agreement with that. And so that's where I was. Listen, there's an attitude, right? Now, you don't need to tell me if there's a bad attitude or good attitude. I don't think it was that good, and I'm working on it. Let's just park that, all right? It's an attitude. Paul says, I want you, Christians, to have this attitude, the same attitude that Jesus had. That's what he's saying to us. So bearing that in mind, let's read in this passage, finally, to get to it. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11, and it says this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore... God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in summary, what do I think Jesus' attitude was like? I think it was an attitude of humility, an attitude of obedience, an attitude of servanthood. Have the same attitude as Jesus had. And I would summarize it as humility, obedience, and servanthood. But I'm just going to quickly recap the things that it told us at the beginning of that passage that where Jesus' attitude, if you like, was displayed. It was displayed like this. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. He had the rights of everything that God had. He was God. In the beginning, he was God. He always has been God. But he was willing, for our sake, to accept change. Just think of that for a moment. He was willing, for our sake, to accept change. Now, how often are we prepared to accept change on behalf of somebody else? How much is it, oh, hang on, it, that, that offends me. We don't actually say it offends us, but I think, I'm not doing that. It means I've got to go, would you pick me up on the way to work? I'm not doing that. It takes me out of my way. It's not, it, it offends my usual way of going about things. 
Just imagine if Jesus had said to his father, <laughs> doing that? What? Leaving this? The glory of heaven? Leaving who I am here to go down to, to where? He did not do that. He did not cling on to equality with God, but rather he was willing to accept change. Secondly, he gave up his divine privileges, is what it says in the, the New Living Translation, which is a, a very good way of describing it. He gave up that which was rightfully his, that which was his because of his divinity, because of his godliness. And last week we mentioned these, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. His all-knowing ability, he gave it up. Just imagine if you know everything and now you know nothing, you've got to let other people teach you. How humbling is that? His ability to have all power, to do whatever he wants, right. He now has to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. And he could be everywhere present at any particular time. I can be in Japan, I can be in Australia, I can be right here every time, all at the same moment. I am everywhere present. No, Jesus is now only in one place at any one time. He gave up his divine privileges because of us. And again, what are we prepared to give up? Not just, oh, I'm going to give up you know, alcohol after Christmas, or I'm going to give up this, or I'm going to give up that. Not for us. He gives it up for others. The motivation is to help other people. The motivation is to bless other people. What are we prepared to do to bless others? You know, often at Christmas time, there is a sense in which goodwill to all men. All right, I'll be a bit more goodwillish, you know. Thank goodness it's only one day of the year. No, try and make it a full season. No, try and make it our lives. That's what Paul is saying. Let this attitude, this attitude, the same attitude that was in Jesus Christ needs to be in us. Goodwill towards all men. Are we prepared to lay down our privileges that we might serve others? Why? So that we can win them for the gospel. It takes effort. There is a tremendous cost. He took the humble position of a slave. Or as the NIV says, taking the very nature of a servant is what it says there. It means this. It means he was prepared to go from being boss to being bossed. You understand that? I'm the head honcho. I'm obviously using not exactly biblical language here, okay? So don't, you know, don't try and follow it exactly. But you understand. He, he went from that place of giving instructions to having received instructions. Don't we love that? No, we don't. We much prefer to give the instructions than to receive the instructions. There's a tremendous price to pay from that change. Hey, I'm in control. I know everybody must do what I say. Now I only do the things that my father shows me that I need to do. That's an enormous turnaround. Have you ever just laid down your life, even in the office? Just think of it like this, in the workplace, in the home, at Christmas, on Christmas Day, with Uncle Terrible and Auntie Nasty, when they've come round, uh, metaphorically, okay, metaphorically that was when they come around and they're being difficult are we prepared to serve them you know like when your instruction they're no longer listened to now you need to listen to them okay are we prepared to serve people 
Listen, it takes a great price for us to do that. For those we like, we're willing to. I'm not talking about those we like. I'm talking about other people, those that are outside of our world, those that need to be ministered to. I'm talking about those people. And we want to reach out to them. He took the very position of a slave. And you know what? In one sense, we could say, well, of course, Jesus. It was, Jesus, God's your father. It's all right for you. You've got connection with your dad. Everything's all right for you. I mean, God's good, so therefore it's all going to be good. And there's a sense, that's just what we think sometimes. Well, maybe you wouldn't think that, but you know what I mean. But actually, what Jesus had to do was he had to listen to what his father asked him to do and then go and do that. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because isn't God our father as Christians? And yet we find it quite difficult to listen to what he says and just go and do it. But Jesus had to lay down everything just to be obedient to what his father said. Obedience to his commands, that needs to be our focus. And God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He was born as a human being. Jesus went from a form of a spirit. Well, he was a spirit and he was completely free in heaven. Completely free, everywhere present, all the time, completely free. And now that freedom is curtailed to coming and being inside a body in one place at one time. Do you like it when your wings are clipped, when you're curtailed, when you feel the restraints coming around you? Sometimes there's a warmth and a comfort in that, but most times it's like, Whoa, I don't like that sense of being enclosed. I want to have my freedom. Jesus was willing to become man, to take on the limitation of flesh for our sakes. You know, we just need to think these things through. Wow. Because so often we just receive the word. This is what Jesus did, but we don't think through what it really means of what he did for us. He was born as a human being and took on the limitation, that containment, as it were, of flesh. Now, we are spirits contained in flesh, encased in flesh, and our role now is to strengthen our spirits so that actually our spirits can break through the shackles of the flesh, all of those desires, those corrupt desires that seem to take us into places we don't want, so that we can really connect with God. So we need to develop our spiritual life rather than spending time nurturing our flesh life. And so often we want to just nurture our flesh life. It says of Jesus, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We've talked about this one who gave instructions, receiving instructions, and the instruction he received in heaven was this, would you go? Would you go? Will you go to earth? Will you live? And will you freely give up your life so that all of those people may have the opportunity to come back into relationship with me. That was the instruction given to heaven and that was the call that Jesus received and actually took on board. And you know, as Christians, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that he died for all, that those who live 
should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Now just imagine for a moment that you, were, you are now Jesus, and you've now come to earth, and you, you've been born, and you're now growing up. You don't have all of that knowledge. You've got to learn things. You've got to be taught things. You've got to receive revelation from your Father in heaven. You've got to take that on board day by day, week by week. You've got to learn different things. Imagine what it was like for him to come to that place of understanding that he was the Messiah that he's reading about in Scripture. This is truly who he is. There must have come that time. It's not like, hey, at the age of three, hey, I'm the Messiah. I don't think it was like that. He had to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding day by day. You know what? His parents knew something. Because when Mary had that visitation from the angel, she was told the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So she knew that, hey, this is no ordinary child. She knew that anyway. I'm a virgin. How can I get pregnant? God will overshadow you. And the one to be born to you will be the Holy Son of God. So she knew something special. Joseph knew something special because the angel came to reassure him and to talk to him. And the angel said, you are going to have a son and you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Just supposing an angel popped up to you and said that, oh, you're going to have a child and his name's going to be Jesus and he's going to save his people from their sins. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I know his name's Jesus. Do you understand what the rest of it means? No. But you've got something that's stirring in your mind. So his parents had some knowledge and understanding. Just think what it was like when those kings, those wise men, came to visit. And however long after the birth of Jesus or whatever, as far as we're concerned, it was just a short while after you know, all of that stuff. They came in, didn't they, with their gifts. And so suddenly, whoa, we've got to knock at the door. Knock at the door. And it's these, it's these wise men. It's these, they should see the way they're dressed. And they've got gifts. Oh, well, if you've got gifts, come on in. So in they come and they present their gifts. And their gifts are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, the thing is, you know what, if you receive a vacuum cleaner for Christmas, and please, I'm going to give a word now. It's not a word from the Lord. This is from my wife. (laughs) It says that women do not like to receive vacuum cleaners, okay, as their present. Okay, that's just, that's not a word from me. It's true, isn't it? Okay, ladies, full agreement. Okay, they like lovely things. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh came in. And rather than seeing that vacuum cleaner and thinking like, oh my goodness, you're asking me that my house is not clean enough. The gold, there's something about kingship here. My son is a king. What does that mean? So she's trying to work that out because he's, he's being told he's a king. And then there's frankincense, which is an incense which means he has a prayer life. It means he is a priestly person. What is, he's a king and he is a priest? What is all this about? And then there's myrrh that comes, which is about death. What is being told to this family about this boy Jesus? They don't know everything. They're growing in understanding. 
And Jesus was growing in understanding. Imagine the time when Jesus picks up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he's reading in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 6, though it wasn't verses in those days, just going through the scripture. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There was a day when Jesus understood, this is me. This is the cost, the real cost of Christmas. Humility, obedience, servanthood. That's the cost. It's a realistic cost. You think it was easy? Well, just go back in the New Testament to that glimpse that we have in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before the cross, but when Jesus was praying with his disciples, will you not pray with me one hour? Will you watch and pray as he takes, it says in Matthew, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. The true cost. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. This is the real cost. And you want knowing... That cost, that laying down, that humbling, that preparedness to come on behalf of others, that preparedness to serve others, that preparedness to lay your life down for the sake of others. When I think of that cost, it doesn't surprise me in the least that he came to a stable. Because oh, I don't need glory. I don't need it. I'm just going to come in humility. I'm going to start as I mean to carry on. I'm coming for the broken. I'm coming for the lonely. I'm coming for the poor. I'm coming for the rich. I'm coming for the able. I'm coming for the disabled. I'm coming for every person so that I might rescue them from every hindrance, bondage, and oppression that the enemy has brought upon them, that I might rescue them to lift them up so that they can have relationship with God. That is what this scripture is talking about. The attitude. The true cost of Christmas is that humility, that obedience, that servanthood that was displayed. And Paul says to us as Christians, you must have the same attitude. The same attitude. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. But you know what? Our passage doesn't finish there. And guys, you can come up. But I'm just going to go on just to finish this passage because it says, and, and in the light of what Yomi was saying earlier about at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Just listen to this. Because there's humiliation, God never brings anybody to a place of humiliation but you know what? He rewards those who will humble themselves before him. 
And for us, and we don't often talk about, about it as Christians, but for us there is a glorious inheritance. There's something beyond. You know, Paul, at the end of his life, he said, I've run the great race. I've done all of those things. I've given my life for God. I know I've got scripture here somewhere. He says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. There is that sense, you know what, if we are prepared to walk the same way as Jesus, there will come a day when we get a reward like Jesus. There's humiliation, but God didn't want just to humiliate his son. He wanted to elevate his son. And so after his son had done the things that his father had called, after Jesus had came and given his life and paid that cost, then God wanted to raise him up. He'd humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. But it goes on to say, therefore God elevated him to the highest honor, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The elevation, two things I want to say. He's elevated to the place of highest honor. The place of highest honor is that Christ was called to come and sit at the right hand of the Father. You know, when somebody sits at the right hand, what that means is you have the same authority as I have. You know what? Equality with God was not something that he sought to grasp. Now he's being given equality with God. He's been raised to the place that there's no higher place than that, at the right hand of God, that place of honor. That's where he is. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 97, verse 7, it says this, For you, O Lord, are supreme over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. That's the place of honor that he has gone to. But then it says not only the place of honor, it specifically says that he is given the name that is above every name. Now, you know, when it comes to names, you know that in Hebrew, the Jews, a name is very important because it declares who you are. You know, before the creation, or at the creation, Jesus wasn't called Jesus. He was called the Word of God. You understand that? In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. In the beginning, he's known as the word. But now he's been given the name Jesus. But not only the name Jesus, the father. Abraham had revelation of God. Isaac had revelation of God. But you know what? They never had the same revelation of God as Moses had. Do you remember the story of Moses when he comes to the fire? And in the fire, and he starts speaking, and he says to God, because this fire is talking to him, And he says to God, well, hang on, you're asking me to go back to Egypt. Hey, who do I say you are? What is your name? And at that time, God reveals a greater understanding of his name than he'd already been given. And his name that was given then is, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And you've heard that, Yahweh. So precious they consider that name that they actually took out 
some of the letters, so it's just YHWH. That's how they, they shorten it because they would. It's so holy. We don't even want to speak the name, the name of God. But that is the name that is above every other name, Yahweh, God Himself. Now you know, if we were to translate what the he, from Hebrew to Greek, it becomes Lord. And in your New Testaments, it's often, when that is given as the translation, it's, it's put in capital letters to show that it's the translation of Yahweh to Lord. And what does it say in this passage that Paul says, which I've now got to find, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus... Christ, which is Messiah, the one who is coming. Jesus, Messiah, is Yahweh, is Lord. He's been given the name that is above every other name. That at that name, the supreme name, every knee will bow. Humility comes first, but with humility when we walk in humility, there is reward that is waiting for us. Let us have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus as we come into this Christmas time. Just receive, wow, the cost. Not worrying about the cost. I mean, we do worry about the cost of ourselves. And to be honest, sometimes it gets ridiculous. So let's not overspend or go into debt or get into those problems. Because it's just not worth it. That's the world system that's pushing you, not the throne room of God. Let's keep within our limitations. Let's be prepared to humble ourselves. But let's remember the true cost, that he gave up everything, the glory of heaven for us. And that attitude is what he wants to see in our lives. And you know what? If we come with humility, if we come with servanthood, if we come with obedience to God, in our lives, carrying that, then I know that our Christmases will be transformed because we will be transformed and therefore the people around us will be transformed. So let's take that on board as we go into this Christmas time. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.